the world is moving so fast, people are so busy,、mm. and as soon as you kind of like run out their energy or run out their attention, it's really hard to convince people to give you more. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Experience, where we give you an inside look behind the top product led experience. Each week, we'll give you UX examples,、uh, proven strategies, and hard-earned lessons from experts. And today, this is your co-host Ramley John. My other co-host Lila is on vacation.、Uh, today, I have Alan. He is from Lucid,、uh, a visual col- collaboration suite of apps, including Lucid Chart, Lucid Spark, Lucid Scale. Uh, I was introduced to him by Andrew Kaplan,、uh, and you know we just had him on on one of the episodes for Behind Experience. Alan is the former group product manager at Lucid, where he's been there for for four years and more.、Uh, he's worked problems across the funnel from engagement to retention to product virality. How's it going, Alan? I'm, I'm excited to be chatting here with you today. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Super excited to be here. Awesome. Well, well, let's jump in. I know you contributed to the、uh, the course we have at the、uh, Value First onboarding, and one of the things that you you really said was that when it comes to product growth and user engagement, user onboarding is such an important lever. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because、uh, you know we really want to drive this point home, and you shared a few really key insights in in that、uh, in that video that you shared for that course. Yeah, so you know, a lot of company, especially in the SaaS world, like everyone cares about engagement and retention.、Um, Lucid is not exception, right? When we first start, it's the same thing. Then, what we realize as we dive into data and figure things out, we realize like a lot of retention or engagement problem are actually onboarding issues, right? Like people weren't really onboarded to your product, they weren't really understanding what your product is about, and like. Get into those habit loop or hot moment, however you want to call it, and then resulted in a long term looks like oh your product is not engaged, oh your user don't retain well, but ultimately everything starts with onboarding. Makes a ton of sense. I really love that you you mentioned there that everything starts off with user onboarding. It really does make an outsized uh, uh, impact. I checked out a few other episodes that you've been on. I, I know you've been on Headsop podcast,、uh, you know, as well as a few other ones. You really have an interesting insight into what an engaged user is for, for Lucid, because often this becomes a sticky point for a lot of products. Because if you don't know what an engaged user is, then you might be driving the wrong kind of users <laughs> into your product. Can you talk a little bit about engaged user and what it is for the, the products that you've been working on at Lucid? Yeah. So for engaged user, you know, I'm I'm a very analytical and like data driven person. And when I was doing this, I had to learn to figure out like the engaged user definition. Often is a combination of both qualitative and quantitative data, right? Like、um, most company today, we all have more data than we can personally consume.、Um, the so like usually is also where people started. When we look at it, we basically have the approach is like, okay, cool. Let's see who are very engaged、um, based on the data in terms of frequency or you know the usage, the depth or breadth. Then we also look at, hey, what's our company strategy for our product? Like, what kind of people do we want to serve? With Lucid, we have millions and millions of user, and we have a very broad use case. But we don't serve everyone in the same degree, right? Certain、mm. type of persona use case we serve it really well. Something is more tangent.、Um, so when we look at engagement, like basically is 
looking at the data to figure out who are those people, pairing that with a product strategy and value proposition, and do a lot of user call, user research to validate those things. Over time, you know, like when we first started, it was a very high level definition four years ago talking about like, oh, just people creating and finishing their document. Like mm -hmm. that was it, like super simple, no secret. Yeah. Um, and then over time, as we obviously the product developed more, the market is changing, competition are changing. We also start to serve more particular use case and persona. Then we start to expand that engaged user definition. And now we have different teams and different products working for particular engaged user. And those things are keep being reevaluated, keep being updated. I would say like, uh, you know, quarter to six month basis, like every time we rethink about our OKR, rethink about our product and positioning, like those engaged user definition will just keep being renewed as we learn more. It's really interesting that you mentioned that, you know, it's the definition of engaged user depends on the product, but also depends on the type of user. Can you give an example? Like, for example, I'm, I'm sure there's several use cases for Lucid. Like, is there an exa a particular example you can give where, like, you know, for this type of user, here's the set of actions that we would call. Uh, and like you mentioned, it changes all the time, but, like, just maybe a snapshot of one that you've heard the past, like, uh, of an example of an engaged user so that people can have, uh, can hear, like, okay, this is, you know, what they're driving towards uh, building for what an engaged definition for an engaged user for their product. Yeah. So... For example, LucidChart has a lot of users who does technical documentation, right? Like a lot of engineering, cloud infrastructure, architect, they all use LucidChart to document their like UML diagram or like their sequence diagram and showing how their server and all those things talk together. So when, when we decided this is a persona we want, we start to see, okay, cool, what are the core type of action they are doing? And then what's the nature of frequency of them doing these kind of things? Because no one's going to brush their teeth more than twice a day. Well, some people might do, but like for majority of okay. don't. So like when we talk to them, it's very critical to understand like, hey, how often do you need to create mm. more? How often do you review? Mm. How often do you kind of update things? Mm -hmm. And once we get those frequency and then those core actions, so for them, like they probably have a new project every quarter. And then once they start it, it will be a very intensive time period. They work on it every single day to get it to a polished state. And then they will share with their manager, their peers, to make sure things are good. And then they up, like, update that diagram or refer to that diagram like in a weekly to bi-weekly use case. Mm. Right? Like, oh, I will look at it or like we'll talk about it, discuss in these regular meetings. And then pull it up. So a lot of those like particular metrics are around these kind of um, actions as the baseline, right? It's always around like certain action within certain amount of time. And we look how many people actually perform in those weekly or bi-weekly cadence and keep doing those actions. So I can dive deeper, but like, I think that's just a high level view of approach and like a more yeah. accurate example. Uh, that makes uh, I love, I just laugh when you said uh, nobody brushes their teeth more than time. <laughs> I know a few people that does it four four times a day. I was like, wow, that's a little too much. But you're right. The engage your engaged metric should be driven by behavior, right? Like if 
you, when you're trying to growth hack somebody to uh, try to maximize their teeth brushing per day, <laughs> uh, that's that doesn't follow behavior versus it's the same thing with uh, you know creating those diagrams like you know trying to force somebody to make more than they need to for their work. <laughs> is actually counterproductive uh, than it is productive for, for that. I really love the discussion around uh, frequency there. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about you working with other teams. I know when it comes to user onboarding or, or working on a virality or, or any kind of growth or product related, working with other teams like marketing or customer success or, or support is super, super important. And you know, I always love to hear how other uh, uh, people work with other teams, especially to drive growth and drive, um, you know, really uh, the results that they have. Can you talk a little bit about like how you and uh, your your team, uh, your former team at, at Lucid works to with other teams to achieve those goals that you have? Yeah, that's a great question. And that has been one of the very interesting thing I've been doing at Lucid in a way. When I joined Lucid, we were about like 200 plus people. When I left, we're over a thousand. So we gone through that, you know, growing stage in the company and a lot of things going from like, oh, I know everyone, everyone knows who Alan is to like, man, I don't even know half of the who's Alan. Like, <laughs> who's Alan? Like, are you new? Thing. Um, so when I think about working with other things, there are two buckets in my mind, right? Like one with within product engineering org. One is outside of prior engineering work with like marketing support and all those things you talk about. So the first one, you know, I have very regular one-on-one and checking with all the product director across different areas. And, you know, my directs will report to me on what they're doing and same thing for them. So we coordinate on our level to figure out like, hey, what are the things we need help? What are the OKR we're hitting? And like, um, Kind of collaborate there. We also have a lot of those like regular checking for people to share learning, share those things they are doing for the company. Outside of that, you know, like not just those like regular meeting and checking on a personal level, my teams also be viewed as kind of a center of excellence when it comes to engagement, running A-B tests, and thinking through metrics, things like that. So we do a lot of lunch and learn, we do office R to help other product managers to think through it um, on a tactical level, right? Like my team's OKR is always centered around top line company level metrics. Um, a lot of other teams will contribute to it as well, but there, you know, it's probably a combination of like del delivering new feature, fulfilling certain use case, and then with the eye on increasing engagement. So a lot of time we work with them in the way like, if this is a new initiative like virality, we will take it and then we are going to do it for a quarter or two and figuring out everything and like kind of creating a playbook or a template or a process for people to know, hey, these are the, the couple area endeavors that will be super helpful. Then as we have new and harder metrics to take, we take on those and we start to transition learning and those areas to individual product things outside of my team. So. That's how we work with, you know, prior engineering. Outside of that, with customer success, support, prior marketing, we have program teams at Lucid, right? Like all those program teams are sponsored by executive in the company and some of them are around, you know, user education, creating community, all those things. 
And I will be sitting in those program team as kind of a bridge at, for, from the product side and these other cross-functional teams. In that process, I help them to see like, hey, if this is the Tableau dashboard the CEO is looking at, and all this education or whatever webinar initiative are going to increase user engagement, our community, all those things. How do you think about those metrics, right? Because like in our industry today, engagement, retention, virality, these are kind of the fancy war people threw around. It's like, oh yeah, like as long as you attach like product girls to your initiative, you get a budget. Um, <laughs> so is, okay. that, is that real or like maybe in your mind it is, but like, does that really affect the top line, right? Like we might be doing so many things, but at the end of the day, like the board, the, the investor, the executive, they want to see metrics and impact to show people. So my role there, a lot of times, like helping to think through seeing things and also like a lot of things can just be silo, right? Like if your email marketing is a silo, then your product, then user is going to have a weird experience. It's like, oh, your email is saying this and you dropped me here in the product, right. but products are not showing this. So like I spend a lot of time coordinating with these cross-functional mm. to figure out like how to think about this holistically all together and also bridge that experience between these different teams to the product. It makes a ton of sense. I love that. I really love that uh, whole discussion you have uh, there. You talked about lunch and learn, so I, I really love that as well. I think it just it's all about sharing knowledge uh, with that as well. Uh, I want to next jump into a few screens that, uh, with Lucid Chart, particularly around their onboarding, around some of the work you and your team has done. Uh, I'm going to share my screen here. And for people who are tuning in via uh, via audio on the podcast, uh, it says here, there's a, uh, when, after somebody signs up for Lucidchart, they fill out you know, their email, password, I believe also the name, they sign up. This is loading screen. And I, and I love it because uh, when we chatted before we were recorded, uh, and you talked about how this is not an intrusive education. It says here, pro tip, open the Shape Library Manager by pressing the M key. Can you talk a, lot, a little bit about this loading uh, screen uh, for for Lucid for Lucid Chart? Yeah. So you know we we are trying to do a lot of things to help our user and want to make sure the user can have success and momenting our product ASAP. So in this whole journey, we made a few mistakes in the past, right? Like we trying to like through education to people's face and say, these are the 10 things you must know about Lucid Chart. <laughs> that will make it extremely successful. Um, for some people it works, right? Like, like for my grandma or my mom, like, <laughs> probably, they love it, right? Like, but for most like knowledge worker these days, we have yeah, right. to with technology. Hmm. Like when we talk to users, some people feel offended. They feel like, hmm. interesting. Done? like I can't do things or I can't learn myself. Like, this is so easy. Why are you telling me like, Maybe your toys for dummies, like not for me. Right? So like, we have been getting some very spicy feedback or like tweets. Um, so the the thing my team have been striving to do is to like figuring out like how to teach and educate people in a non intrusive way um, to make sure like, hey, these are going to be super helpful and people are willing to try it, but don't make them feel they are dumb or like stop them from what they are trying to get. Um, and especially in the onboarding journey is extremely critical, right? Because people coming usually from, you know, Google search or SEO or whatever other channel, and they have something in mind, they want a value they are looking for. 
So if you stop them and say, hey, look at this or like hear that, they are going to just be pissed and leave. So when we do these kind of like loading screen tool tips or um, I, I wouldn't call it onboarding, but like those like helpful education type of message, we use zero state that people have to be on this journey anyway. And you are just, just trying to be helpful along the way. Then people love it, right? Like a lot of people is like, oh, I found it super helpful. And like when they get in, they start trying things like, and it's like very low in terms of like their cognitive low. Like no one feels this is too heavy to take, but also, you know, this can be very helpful for a lot of people. And they start to see like, oh yeah, even me can use this product and very quickly, I think there's also a magic in shortcuts, right? Like anytime when I learn a new shortcut about my mm -hmm. Mac or any product, all of a sudden I feel, oh man, I know this better than other people. So helping people to adopting like shortcut or like these quick tips actually build up a lot more, like I will say mental momentum than maybe the actual utility. Interesting. I, re I really love that whole discussion. I think we can do a whole episode on that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that interview? Like you said, you talked to a few users and, and, and they they were offended. You said they were like so offended that you're like, oh, you think I'm so dumb? Is that did that really happen? Like, uh, uh, yeah, that, that really happened. Like we so we talk to our user pretty regularly. Like at mm -hmm. Lucid, we have all those mechanisms to recruit people, and some people love us. Um, some people kind of just like. You know, I've been loving your product for a while, but you recently did this stupid thing and pissed me off. So because, and they're always coming from the angle, it's like, because I love you so much, I'm going to tell you this um, type of thing. And like, I see on those calls and people are just like, yeah, please stop doing this. Like, this is so stupid. Like, it's not for me. Um, I don't need things like that. That's, that's really, really funny. Uh, you mentioned that. I guess it's also finding, can, I, I know this is not a part of the original questions I, I had shared with you, but I'm curious around how you find that balance, how you, you, you're, you were finding that balance between, you know, being helpful and like pointing things around versus like, now you're on the other end. Now it's like really annoying. Like, what did you say? It's like, you know, your mom and grandma might like that, but like for knowledge workers, they were like, be so offended that they that you're tweeting them uh, that we're tweeting them so so uh, dumbly. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a great question, and I don't think there's a silver bullet in terms of like, oh, this is the right thing to do. Lucy is also still learning, but in general, I think about a couple of things. Actually, three. First is the audience. Second is the context, and third is the method, channel, or pattern. Right? So like, I think a lot of time in most part I've seen, the way they do it is they probably only thought about one of these things and just kind of threw something in their product instead of all three. Either it's like very helpful message, but like wrong audience. Or it's like something that's really cool, but like you give it in a very annoying pattern that's just, people just want to exit out whatever model or whatever things you show them. Um, or sometimes just like, this is the right pattern, this is the right message, and you give it to someone who is like completely irrelevant to the message. So when we are doing any sort of promotion or tips or education, these are the three kind of aspects we look through to make sure, hey, we are really careful on what we show to people because 
the attention is limited on our user. And like, especially the world is moving so fast, people are so busy. Mm. And as soon as you kind of like run out their energy or run out their attention, it's really hard to convince people to give you more. So we always kind of err on the, you can say more conservative side um, to start. And then we start to expand to, you know, different audience, different level of user and different use case when we do mm -hmm. these messages. That's an awesome, awesome uh, perspective there. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, in a little bit around templates. I really love how Lucy Chart approaches that, that whole philosophy that you just talked about. But before we do, uh, you know, for free, free users who sign up for free tier uh, in here, they, they sh you, you ask a few questions for users before they jump right in. Uh, there's, you know, there's a progress indicator at the top. You know, there's three things that you're asking for. First, uh, first it says, welcome to your first document around me. So I really like how personal is already. What's your role? What best describes you? And then on the next screen, it asks, which marketing use case would you like to try first? So it's interesting that it updated that. So I selected marketing there. So then I'm guessing this updates based on the, f in the uh, responses from the first first questions. Is, is that right? Like the, this yeah. updates. Okay, interesting. Really right. good. Best case there. Uh, and best best practice there uh, is updating that. And then the very last is just um, invite your team members here. Uh, and then there's at the very bottom of this modal, there's a call to action. Uh, view templates, start diagramming, and previous. Can you talk a little bit about um, the work around this, like uh, any kind of experiments you can share or any learnings uh, with this with this welcome modal? Yeah, so we have spent a lot of time and effort and resources on this journey, right? Like, and Love still revamping today. Like, mm. this is something we review very regularly, I would say. But in general, there are a couple like top level learning, I would say. First is like, we recognize, you know, every product will give users some friction, but there are good friction and bad frictions, right? Like, the good friction will like, make user more successful later on. And that's, you know, that's the trade-off we are willing to make. So if you look at this three-step onboarding thing is three is kind of that magic number in a lot of users. Yeah. If you have more than three, people start, oh, how many do you have? If you have fewer than three, it's like usually you don't get something that's helpful. Or yeah. people also feel like, oh, this is not formal enough for whatever reason. Um, another thing is, when we are asking these questions, because Lucid Chart today has millions and millions of users, and we serve a very wide range of different mm. use cases. So user telling us who they are, what they are doing, actually help us better to mm. kind of surf them and surface up whatever is relevant um, to what they are looking for. Um, because Lucid, like I said, like a lot of people coming in, they want one thing to start. But we can actually do many things for their workspace or their day-to-day. -day. They just don't know. Instead of they have to like look around and like find 10 different products, like loosely we have a suite, we can just help them with all those things. Um, so knowing who they are, especially self-identified, usually people are not super against that. Um, because now I think the expectation is like, oh, if I tell you this, it's obvious how right. my price experience will be better. So that's where we started. Um, if you look at the, the later step, step, it's about like, hey, what use case you have? And then like inviting your team and show templates. The things here is like, 
we recognize, especially since COVID, right? Like mm. in collaboration, all those things are becoming so critical in any knowledge workers day to day. So a lot of time, you know, like sharing permission or like figuring out which document I'm sharing with people, it's just annoying. Mm. Like, like, oh, you don't have access to it. Oh, like, yeah, let me go grab a link and like give you permission, whatever. So we have been evolving over time from that paradigm to now just like, hey, put people in your team. And then like, you know, there are a couple people on my team I work very closely with. Sure, they should have everything I have access to. So like in the future, as you know, I'm passing things around, they would never need to like request access or do all those things. Um, so this is also like what we do here. Last thing about this is like, you know, people can just start right away to diving or yeah. they can view templates. Right. Um, reason being, you know, like there are people who know what they want. They just need to like dump their thoughts into the canvas and start doing quick, cool things. There are also people who are exploring, right? Like a lot of people is like, I'm checking out product for my team. I'm trying to figure out whether this is right for me. Um, from our experience, template has been that has been like a huge component mm. in the decision making process and getting people inspiration. Like at Lucid, I think we have probably over a thousand different templates, wow. and then they're across different use cases, right? So like a lot of people know like, hey, I need to brainstorm with my team, or I need to create a process diagram, whatever. But they do not know more than just plain boxes and arrows, like. Well, through our template library and like what people are seeing in our community, they quickly understand, oh, I can make a very delightful experience for my team. This can look so great. And like, yeah, I'll be so proud if my manager and the whole company see this is from me and I produce all these things. So the template has been very helpful to serve our user in terms of like a good starting point, getting inspiration, or just like to validate whether this is the right product for them and for their team. I love it. We'll, we'll jump into the templates um, a, a little bit. Uh, bef before I do, I do have a, a follow-up question around this one, uh, you know, the use case. It kind of brought to mind our discussion around uh, engaged user. So I'm guessing like users self-selecting, self-identifying themselves kind of helps. Does it help? I, I'm guessing it does. It helps your team figure out like for this, this, this users and you know, their engagement around flowchart versus, you know, like other, other things, uh, like, uh, you know, like, uh, org charts is probably different. Like nobody, I can't imagine somebody updating org charts that often unless they're hiring really, really quickly versus flowcharts. I might be updating it like every hour based on feedback. So the frequency is theirs is different. Is that, is that what you, you're also, uh, you know, your team is figuring out, um, you know, your former team is figuring out with, with this use cases here? Yeah, this is super helpful for us. Like you said, like figuring out what people's use case and then what frequency or type of education we should serve to it, right? Like full chart, definitely, you know, in some ways it's pretty straightforward boxes and arrows and like helping people to create that in a very efficient way is great. Like. You want people to do it ASAP, right? Like they can just feel like that success and building something. Or on the flip side, like like you said, people don't create a new org chart for their company every day. Uh, they might update it periodically, but it's also a very very high upfront manual effort if your mm -hmm. company has hundreds of people to do. Then 
you know, we have integration with, let's say, Bamboo HR, or we have data linking ability. You can pull in a whole spreadsheet or CSV, and then all those data will turn into little cards of different people, and you can have their picture, their title, their pay, whatever you want. Um, but we are not going to teach that to everyone. Like, mm-hmm. maybe there are only one percent of people coming to really do ultra, but that's, you know, a very important critical use case for a company. Then we do want to teach you about it. So, like, these are also ways for us to like say, hey, this is your use case. These are the best place for you to get started. Um, and we can tailor the journey for user. We don't do it for every use case because we right. don't have that resources. But for the strategic one that we want to serve, we do things like that. That's an interesting discussion around going back to value first onboarding. Is like we only it's like the whole concept of minimum viable onboarding or like just in time onboarding, really like you're teaching them what the minimum things they need to know to be successful with us. For org chart, you know, they might need to learn how to upload a CSV and connect Bamboo HR, which is, you know, for a flow chart, somebody who wants that, you know, you don't, you don't teach, you might not necessarily show them how to upload a CSV at that moment because it's not relevant to them. So you're really like, okay, what is the minimum things this, type of use case um, need we need to educate a user to fully ed- educate them is that something your team is active your your former team is actively think was thinking about well, about the different use cases yeah we do and also more than just my team right like mm. we we have laid down a foundation for you know the, the overall onboarding but like the loosely chart thing they are always like figuring out what kind of new feature they deliver and like they are strategic direction for you know the pro- for the product to be more intelligent, for the product to be smarter with data and things like that. And those are a lot of things they focus on to like expand those use cases and help more people to adopt those kind of features. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, I want to jump to the very last screen here with the templates. I know you've been leading towards this. I'm super excited about this. I didn't know there's over a thousand type of templates here. There's you know, for free people who sign up for the free trial, uh, for the free tier, there's like premium uh, templates. So this is for the free tier. Uh, you know, when I signed up for it, there's like flowcharts, old charts. I selected uh, one of the flowcharts here, and it gave me some options on the right to like some resources. This is a screen for the free tier. And then interestingly enough, uh, for when I signed up for a free trial, I had to upload. Um, uh, add my credit card to access the free trial, but that gave me more access to different types of resources. I actually was welcome with a different modal with, uh, you know, view templates, um, watch a, a, a 90 second video about lucid chart. And then I selected, um, you know, a different kind of thing. I believe this is, uh, uh, I believe this is an org chart where now there's a uh, different places I can go, go towards. Can you talk a little bit about templates in the context of Lucy Chart? And you were already leading towards it, how it's unlocked many different types of uh, of of uh, you know activation moments and things like that for for you for uh, there. Yeah. So a couple of things, and I think you see it in your experience is like when you are a free user versus when you start a trial, meaning you have access to all features. The onboarding they are slightly different. Um, and this also kind of tied back to a value first thing, right? Like we fully recognize the product has a lot of feature. It has a full power of things for people to explore. But we also want to do it in the way that's consumable and also 
it doesn't block user in any way. Right? Like there are a lot of premium feature, there are a lot of things. If a free user get to it, they are going to be hitting a paywall or block right away. And that's definitely not the, the ideal experience we want. Like even though we show different feature to people or like we show different depth or breadth, the core value proposition is the same, right? Like people can visualize their ideas on a canvas. So the onboarding and templates role here is just like figuring out what's the most efficient way to get there. Um, you can see with the free user, like the template we surface up here is much, much more lightweight compared to um, the premium one. Reason being, you know, we, we do have certain limitation on number of shapes or assets you can have on the canvas. Sure, we can, sh we can put those like mega ones here and show you how amazing it will look, but we also don't want you to say like, oh, I have to pay right away, right? Like, um, and then the, the resources we put on here, they're also more lightweight because a lot of these people starting free, a lot of them can be students. They can be solo, mm, right? Like right. they might use a free email domain. It's not like the company has a formal budget for them to buy a product. They're just trying to figure something out for their own. And the, the use case is probably sometimes a little more straightforward and simple. So we want to get given enough for them to like keep going to like start trying drag and drop certain things, adding couple shape, and a lot of our, our activation moment actually around those like things in terms of like you know we believe when you are turning your ideas into reality or visualizing it, it has a lot of things to do with like how many shapes you have there, how do you connecting ideas through lines, and mm. whether you edit things with certain formatting. So. Those are kind of like our thinking there. On the flip side, you know, for people who kind of just say, hey, I'm starting a premium trial. I'm like, I swipe my credit card for a trial. Like there's also a higher level commitment for these hmm. people, right? Like credit card is not something I will give away to it. <laughs> like usually there's a certain level commitment, I already give it to it. So obviously the flip side is like, we want to meet that expectation, give right. the best and show them the full power. So you see the template solution here is a lot more. And right. there's also nothing to indicate like, oh, what's premium, what's not, right? Like, we're just like, mm. you got a whole product. This is the full deal you're getting. So like, just explore and right. do like do and try. Um, the, the description or the help here, we still use that non-intrusive pattern, right? It's like mm. a stay on the canvas instead of something on your face. But we also showing a little more granular stat, like because it's an enterprise software as well, right? Like so, like we do want to show you, like, hey, it's very rigorous. There are a lot of capability. You don't need to use all of them, but like, they are more than you can, you know. There are more things than you need, kind of feeling like. Um, and but we also want to do it in a non-super overwhelming way. So like, it's a tricky balance to show the power of a product, but also make people feel like. This is the product for you. Don't worry if you don't know everything. There should be enough for you type of feeling. I like, I love that. You know, like yeah, when somebody puts in their credit card, you're totally right. Like they're, they're expecting a little bit more uh, than that. I when I signed up for this uh, full disclosure, I signed up for this. I I put in my boss's credit card <laughs> and it made sure to cancel right away because you're right. Like it's hard for uh, my credit card is downstairs. You have to open up, take it out of your wallet. Unless you have like uh, you know like a, a, a tool that like LastPass or or one password that can insert that 
the credit card number right away. But there's a lot of friction and you want to show, really meet that expectation uh, with that. One of the question, follow-up questions I have here, uh, I'm curious around, any insights around like figuring out what shapes or what templates is premium versus free tier? I hear this uh, discussion all, all the time around which which feature should I give for free and which one should I hide behind a paywall? And I'm guessing you had uh, you know a discussion at, at Lucid around that that for for templates or even for shapes as well. Yeah. <clears throat> so to be honest, I think a lot of time there's more in art than science mm, of this process, right? Because as a company, there are a lot of consideration in terms of like the sales side of things or like differentiated versus our competitive everything. But I will say on the, on the growth or product side, the high level principle is like, if your company strategy, for example, like Lucid, we have this like reverse trial freemium experience. Mm. So, and we are product company. So like the whole core is like, you have to be okay that some people will just always be free and never pay you and use That's totally fine. Um, but there are also things we provide that's very valuable, like people should pay us for. So when we are thinking through paywall or like, you know, any sort of limitation um, feature or usage, we start from the points like, okay, cool. What's the core value proposition of our product? What do we want to provide user to? Like what are the value we want to provide to user, to free user, to this kind of user? And then we say, okay, cool. If that's the case, these are the set of things we cannot put behind a paywall mm. to, to, for everyone to experience that core value proposition. And then we also believe when people have been doing this enough or more than certain threshold, they should start paying. So like we have limitation around like number of shapes you can do there or number of documents you can edit, right? You can create how many you want, but like the, the active one are numbers limited. So there are a lot of things I think it aligns in terms of like usage-based charging, like hmm. those things are in our industry today. It's just like, we want to make sure we provide enough value for you. If we don't provide enough, don't pay. But if we provide more than certain threshold, then, you know, like you should pay us. Um, and on top of those, like obviously with enterprise, there are security, all those things. Um, that's kind of a different world than mine, but that's just how in, the, the high-level principle, how we generally think through this. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm going to start wrapping up. Just a couple more questions. One is you, you share a lot of tips, actionable tips right now uh, in the last 30 to 40 minutes that uh, that we've been chatting. If you had one final, one, one or two final pieces of advice you'd like to share for people who are tuning in, they're the ones who are trying to improve their activation, their retention, even, maybe even their virality. Um, what kind of tips would you would you give them uh with uh parting words of advice uh or advices uh, that you have for for people who are tuning in today yeah i think the most valuable advice i got when i started doing this is to to really understand what's the input and what's the output right i think with with our industry right like money growth or ARR retention, like these numbers a lot of time represent how people, like people talk about this all the time. Um, so a lot of people, they have their eyes so fixed on these kind of things and want to drive those things out. Cause like 
you get promotion, you get rewarded for, for like these metrics. But at the end of the day, we really need to understand what's the input that eventually will turn out to this output, right? Like the product won't grow if people are not engaged or if people don't love and use your product. Um, you won't have virality if people don't perceive this is a viral product or like if people don't perceive this is something they can do it with their team and it actually provide benefits and advantage for them. So, you know, those are like the early mistake even myself made is like, oh, let's tweak something. Like, you know, a lot of people talking about like growth hacking, change your color, change your button size, all those things. It can work to a certain degree, but ultimately if you want to do something that's more sustainable, it's a long-term type of growth, you need to understand what's the input and keep putting effort into those input and the output will show in, you know, in a very outsized way eventually. And, but it also takes time. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Alan. I really do, do appreciate it. One final question. Uh, when can people find out more about you and your work online and, you know, like, uh, whether it's your LinkedIn or website or anything else, else like that, uh, for people to follow up if they have any follow up questions or just, just want to follow along with your journey. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't have a personal website. I do have my LinkedIn, and so feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. And I'm happy to connect with anyone and just chat more about this. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Alan. I really do appreciate it.